Well, good morning. Um, if you've not met before, my name is Ali. I'm the minister here. Really, really good to see you. Really good to have you with us uh, this morning. We're going to look at this passage uh, at Job uh, chapter 3, as, as Angus has mentioned, and as we've just uh, no doubt picked up as we've read through it. it it's a stark passage. It's a, a bleak and a, and a raw kind of passage. Uh, and yet really important for us to remember, this is part of God's word to us. Uh, this is God, God speaking to us. Uh, and so it, it is good for us uh, to, to dwell on and, and to work our way through that uh, this morning. So let's do that together. As, as always, it would be worth keeping uh, that passage open in front of you uh, as we do that just now. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the Oxford Pro- University professor, uh, the, the famous author uh, and the great Christian thinker, wrote a book in 1940 uh, called The Problem of Pain. It was looking to deal, he said, with the intellectual problem raised by suffering. And it is, it's a really interesting book. I would kind of recommend it. I think it makes some great points. It kind of achieves what Lewis set out to do. However, 20 years later, 1960, Lewis lost his wife after a prolonged battle with cancer. His sorrow was obviously enormous. Uh, and he wrote a second book. This one was called A Grief Observed. And the difference between uh, these two books uh, couldn't be more, more stark. Uh, the wrestling that Lewis goes through in this second book, uh, as he isn't sort of studying grief, uh, he's not observing it from a distance. Instead, he is consumed by it. Uh, he's right there uh, in the midst of it. The two books don't contradict each other. Uh, Lewis doesn't reject what he's written earlier. Uh, But the nature of them just highlights this huge gulf that there is uh, between talking about suffering uh, and actually going through suffering. Uh, And in a lot of ways, we make a similar move this morning as we move into Job uh, chapter 3. We spoke last week about the the opening couple of chapters of Job, how they they set the scene, uh, how they lay the foundations for this book. We saw the two things, really, the reality of righteous suffering uh, how Job was a righteous man, uh, and yet still this loss, this suffering came. Uh, and we saw, secondly, God's sovereignty over suffering. Uh, how God was still in control. How as, how as difficult as it is to get our heads around it, uh, God uh, had a purpose even behind Job's suffering. Those are the two kind of bedrocks we want to hold on to as we make our way through Job. If you weren't around last week or if you're on crash or anything, I'd, I'd recommend listening to that on the website because it kind of sets the foundation uh, for the rest of what we're going to look at as we make our way through this book. Um, but having heard that introduction, uh, in some ways looking on at Job's suffering, observing it, uh, well, this week we are, are plunged into that suffering. Uh, as we wrestle with Job's experience of it. We mentioned last week how, how the book of Job is really a kind of an epic poem. Uh, chapter 3 is where that poetry begins. You can kind of see that in the layout of the text in, in our Bibles. Uh, and it's worth asking before we look at the specifics, well, why poetry? Uh, why is this book speaking of huge suffering uh, given to us in, that, in this way? Why did God inspire this as, as a book of poetry? And I think it's because, uh, first and foremost, poetry uh, is the, the language, the, the medium of emotion. Uh, throughout human history, at times of great emotion, great joy, great love, uh, great loss, uh, people turn to poetry, people turn to song uh, to try and express that as best as they can. Uh, so that's why we have uh, this poetry here uh, in this book, Uh, Because we are dealing with the raw emotion of suffering, the turmoil uh, that Job went through. And how in that, his words 
are all able to give voice to the many, many others uh, who have suffered since. And so that's our, our plan uh, this morning. We want to take seriously uh, that as we, as we try and wrestle through these emotions uh, that so often come with suffering and this poetry uh, that looks to convey them. So we're going to kind of move through this chapter and it's three major kind of movements. Uh, and as we do that, without trying to break up the flow too much or lose the emotion that it carries, uh, also be thinking about what we can learn about that experience of suffering and what we can know about God in the midst of that. So let's uh, look through this chapter together. And the first major thought of the poem as it opens uh, is this, that Job wishes he'd never been born. Job wishes he'd never been born. That kind of sets the scene, doesn't it, for how how dark this chapter uh, and Job's emotions are at this point. Verse 1, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. Uh, Job looks back to those kind of two uh, fundamental moments of the beginning of his existence, the day that he was born, uh, and nine months earlier than that, the night when he was conceived. Let that day be darkness, he says, verse 4. That night, let it not come into the number of the months, he says, verse 6. Job wants these moments that, that brought forth his existence Uh, To simply have never existed, to be be blotted out the calendar, to be replaced with darkness and nothingness, uh, that he would have never been born. It's such a a bleak opening to this chapter, isn't it? Especially when we think that actually these are are key moments in life that we associate with joy, aren't they? Uh, You know, a woman becomes pregnant, uh, expecting a child, there might be kind of anxiety around that, but overall it's it's joyful news. We're, We're having a baby. Uh, The response to that is excitement, is joy. The day that that child arrives or those twins arrive, as we've had recently in church, again, such a a happy day. Uh, We send congratulatory messages. Uh, We pray prayers of thanks. Families celebrate. Uh, No doubt that was the the case uh, around Job's birth too. Uh, But not now, he says. Uh, If only those moments had never happened. If only I'd never been born is his beginning to this chapter. It's, it's shocking stuff to read, isn't it? Uh, it perhaps makes us feel uh, uncomfortable. Uh, and I wonder how you find yourself wanting uh, to respond to Job. Or, or perhaps to put it another way, how would you find yourself wanting to respond to someone uh, who we didn't know as a character, a hero even from the Bible? Uh, how would we respond to someone else saying uh, these kinds of things? I wish I'd never been born. Uh, saying even, really, I, I wish I was dead, as, as Job will go on to say. Uh, and I'm sure for many of us, the, the instinct would be to respond by saying, you, know, well, you can't say that. No, you, you can't talk that way. You don't, you don't really mean that. Uh, and yet here we see Job doing just that in the Bible. Job, remember, who is righteous. Uh, Job, who God will affirm at the end of this book. My servant Job has spoken about me what is right, God says in the final chapter. And yet here is Job, chapter 3, pouring out the depths of his despair. Perhaps we were much happier, more comfortable with Job's response that we looked at last week, where he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We hear that, and we say, well, well done, Job. Job. That's, that's incredible. You're, you're dealing really well with this situation. And yet we move into chapter 3, and I think we see really the, the reality of human nature. 
Uh, still, Job knows what he knew back in chapter 1 and 2. He knows what is true. And yet the fact is he doesn't always feel that. And he doesn't always experience that. We, we might say, you know, he has those kind of good days, days where he's ho- able to, to hold on to that earlier response. And then other days like this where he is just washed away again uh, by the sheer scale and sorrow of what has happened to him. Now, isn't that just reality? It doesn't that just kind of ring true to us if we've even had the, the smallest taste of what Job had been through or, or know others who've been through the same? Now this chapter shows us even more uh, viscerally, even more emotionally than last week, the sheer depths of suffering and despair that, that good people, righteous people like Job can go through. People who know and trust in God. Uh, Job wishing he'd never been born. Uh, The author, uh, Christopher Ashe, has written a couple of books on Job, really good books. They've been a a great help to me uh, in getting to grips with it. I'd really recommend that. He writes about his time uh, preaching from this chapter, Job chapter 3. He says this, It was a sobering evening with one aim, uh, that we might grasp that a real believer may go through blank despair and utter desperation, that we ourselves, if we walk closely with Christ, may go through a very deep darkness, deeper even perhaps than if we had not faithfully walked in his footsteps. And that as we grasp this sobering truth, we may learn to weep with those who weep. Now when C.S. Lewis wrote his book, uh, A Grief Observed, that we mentioned earlier, those reflections and and response uh, after the death of his wife, it was interesting, a a number of his readers uh, didn't like that book. Uh, They struggled to believe that a Christian writer could be uh, so close to despair uh, as Lewis kind of laid out uh, how he was feeling. Uh, Some thought it must be a work of fiction. Others said, you know, how can this intelligent, faithful Christian man feel these things? And we can't help but recognize that if they'd read chapter 3 of Job, that they would have had a much better uh, understanding and appreciation of what Lewis was saying there. We're we're not looking here at a chapter that is going to fix things. And please don't even think after the eight weeks or so we're going to spend in this book of Job that that our our problems are going to have gone away and that we'll be able to kind of sort out everyone else and their problems. Uh, This is a book that opens up the the depths of suffering and encourages us when we come across that to mourn and weep and struggle alongside those suffering. Uh, The truth is we are are often uh, not good at that in the church. Uh, We want to try and fix people. Uh, we want to try and kind of sort out all their issues. We think it's only by kind of presenting as this cheerful group uh, who have no kind of worries that that's the way that we would kind of attract people into church. And, and there should be something positive uh, about knowing God and the gospel. And clearly we're not talking here. What we're not seeing in Job is, is someone who is just kind of grumpy and, and grumbling. Um, But the most important thing in the church is that we're genuine with ourselves and with others, that we allow others to be genuine, even about the hardest at times. Job chapter 3 is a great lesson for us as a church in that. Job wishes he'd never been born. Uh, We need to recognize that still people, uh, perhaps you this morning, feel that, uh, have felt that, will feel that. Uh, We don't just want to try and put that right, you know, tell people they should feel this instead. Uh, Rather, as God's people, we want to draw alongside those who are suffering. Uh, Draw alongside in love to to listen, uh, to accept, to try try and understand those dark and hopeless feelings uh, that people 
go through. So, so there's the beginning, really the first kind of ten chapters of uh, ten verses, sorry, of this chapter. Job wishes he'd never been born. Uh, let's continue to the, to the next movement as, as Job's lament really gets that gets deeper and even darker. This is some of the hardest stuff uh, to read in this middle section. Uh, why does Job have this despair? Uh, of course, we've seen all that he has been through, all that he's lost, but he kind of summarizes it uh, in, in verse 10. Why does he want to curse and get rid of this day and this night that brought about his birth? Uh, because, he says, it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide, my, uh, nor, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Uh, and this idea of trouble, uh, really trouble versus rest, uh, is going to shape uh, the remainder of this chapter. You see them paired together uh, in verse 17. There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary are at rest. Uh, you see them paired together in the final line, verse 26. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Uh, the situation uh, is this, that Job sees only trouble, only the pain and hardship and suffering of the world. And yet he recognizes that he needs rest. Uh, he needs relief. Now, the tragic part of this second section of the chapter is that the only place he sees that rest is in the grave. Now, that's the second movement here, verses 11 to 19. Job desires the rest of the grave. And and again, this is hard stuff to read. Let me read uh, verse 11. Uh, Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did knees receive me? Or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have laid down and been quiet. I would have slept, then I would have been at rest. And this middle section goes on to speak about how, how the rich and the poor both end up in the same place and how it is the only place where the, the wicked stop causing trouble, where the weary can have rest, where the prisoner is at ease, where the taskmaster is silenced, where the slave is at rest. Uh, these, are, these are such hard words uh, to hear, aren't they? Uh, we don't expect to find uh, words like this in the Bible. These probably aren't the kind of words, the things that we are talking about that you expected to be hearing when you turned up to church this Sunday morning, kind of like any other Sunday. And yet they are in God's word to us. And actually they remain so current. In the UK, the biggest cause of death for men under 50 is suicide. For women, that rate is slightly lower, but still significant. It's so hard to think, isn't it, that for so many people, that death does appear to be the only way out, the only way to rest. Uh, and this is really, really important as we, as we look at this middle section. Remember what we're saying. What we're seeing here as Job speaks uh, poetically to us. It's not saying uh, that this is true. It's not saying that this is right. It's not saying that actually death is the answer. You know, it's so important we don't mishear uh, the Bible as, aff- as affirming that. Uh, But again, what this passage is doing is opening our eyes to the fact that people do feel this. Uh, Good, upright, righteous, Christian people. Uh, Job did feel this. And it's making it clear to us. We can't just dismiss that and tell people to stop. The the answer might not be right, uh, but the feelings are are very real. And if we ourselves have felt that or are feeling that, it means that we can know Uh, That the Bible and God himself takes those feelings really seriously. That we can be open and and honest about that. Because the truth is that we do live in a world full of trouble. Uh, A world which is not 
uh, as it should be. There's a great song called Sorrow by a band called uh, The National. Uh, one of the verses says this, Sorrow found me when I was young. Sorrow waited, sorrow won. I live in a city sorrow built. It's in my honey, it's in my milk. It's a song that speaks about that, that kind of all-encompassing feeling of sorrow, of trouble, of suffering, of pain uh, that people live in. Uh, how all-consuming and, and hopeless uh, that can leave us feeling as if, as if the grave is the only place uh, that can offer rest. And again, I'm really keen that we don't try and sort of soften this chapter. Uh, I'm really keen that we don't sort of try and provide these uh, intellectual solutions to the incredible uh, emotional experience that, that Job is going through here. Uh, we want to recognize that the reality of that in Job and in others that we, we see, and, and perhaps in ourselves as well. Uh, I do just want to take a step back here, though, and see how uh, in this chapter and in the book of Job as a whole, uh, one thing remains true, that, that Job never doubts the, the existence of God. Uh, sometimes the fact that there is trouble, uh, the fact that we live in a world of suffering, we can be tempted to think, we can be led to think, and, and certainly uh, people will tell us, well, well, then there can't be a God, uh, that, that suffering disproves God. If God was really there, he would make it all stop. Uh, and yet I think actually this, this section of Job shows us that that is not accurate. Uh, it's the fact that Job understands that he is designed for rest, as it were. Uh, it's the fact that this trouble that comes to him is not how things should be. Uh, that is what is causing him distress. Uh, that's what's causing him to look kind of enviously at the grave, to seek the rest of death. Uh, but that only happens uh, because he knows that these things that are, are coming upon him aren't as they should be. Christianity, the, the book of Job, certainly doesn't offer uh, neat solutions to suffering. It doesn't wrap things up in a bow and kind of say, you know, there's your questions answered. Everything will be straightforward from now on. Uh, but I think it, it does. Well, it, it does make more sense uh, than a world without God. Because if we get rid of God, we've got no foundation to say there's anything wrong with suffering. It just is. Uh, we can't complain about it. We, we can't mourn it. Uh, we can't recognize the, the injustice in it because there's no reason uh, we should expect anything else. Uh, again, C.S. Lewis says, A man can't call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Uh, in suffering, in these times of trouble, whether for us or for others, our hearts are broken uh, because we recognize that in some way that our, our world is broken. Uh, that this isn't how... It's supposed to be. And yet as we say that, as we think that, uh, we're also saying that there is something good and true and right. There is how things should be but aren't. Uh, and as we think that, we're actually far closer to the Bible's description of our world and our existence than any other worldview. Uh, we're actually describing what the Bible lays out as a world created by God in perfection uh, and yet marred by the fall. No longer what it was designed to be. Uh, Job seeks the rest of death. Uh, people experience that, that hopelessness still today. We want to recognize that. Uh, we want to draw alongside those people who are, are suffering in that way uh, and not, to, not dismiss that experience for a moment. And yet actually remembering that the very fact we can think that, that, that surely that can't be right. 
Uh, surely the grave, surely death can't be where we're supposed to be putting our hope. Surely these things that are happening to us or those we know and love, surely they're not fair. Uh, the fact we can think and ask those questions uh, shows us that there is something more that we are, are looking for. Something more that we are expecting. Something more that we are needing to put our hope in. Uh, the tragedy again in Job chapter 3 is Job had lost sight of that. Uh, Job seeks the rest of death. Uh, and that leads us then uh, to the final section of this chapter. And, and I know, once again, this is kind of tough stuff. Uh, you were maybe hoping that kind of in the third point that Job would perhaps turn a corner here. Uh, we'd be able to speak more hopefully about his situation uh, and what he knows about God. That, that's not what happens. Uh, this chapter doesn't have what we might like to call a, a happy ending. Uh, instead, Job, Job concludes still experiencing this darkness, but really kind of expanding his viewpoint from just his situation, what he's going through, uh, kind of to humanity in general. Now the, the direction of travel is this. Job wishes he'd never been born. Uh, Job desires the rest of death. And finally, Job asks the question, for, for all who suffer, what is the point in life? And we kind of get it repeated two times. Verse 20, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter soul? Verse 23, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Job says, with all of the suffering in our world, what is the point in life? Why are people brought into the world to live a life of pain and suffering? That question of why kind of echoes through the book of Job. It continues to echo today in the experience of those who are suffering. What is the point in life? A fascinating thing about that question, it is a question that the Bible speaks uh, directly to elsewhere, the Apostle Paul, the writing the New Testament, uh, he'll say that to live is Christ. Uh, Jesus himself will say that to live is about seeking above all else God's kingdom. Uh, one of the famous documents of, of Christian history that the Westminster Catechism begins by saying the chief end of man, really the, the purpose of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, and those are, are brilliant, true, biblical answers to that question, what is the point of life? But notice that the book of Job doesn't say any of those things. And the book of Job here in chapter 3 doesn't even answer the question at all. It's simply left hanging there. Why? Why? And Job concludes with these incredible lines. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. We leave Job in this chapter wrestling with the seeming hopelessness of his situation and the hopelessness of the world and wondering what is the point of life. And again, I think more than anything, that brings us back to the, the big point, the big takeaway of this chapter, that as we said earlier, we might grasp that a real believer may go through blank despair and utter desperation. And that as we grasp this sobering truth, we may learn to weep with those who weep. Uh, looking at this passage has, has brought to mind for me uh, certainly the, the, the countless number of times uh, that I have been so quick uh, to try and solve people's problems when they've been experiencing hardship. Uh, so quick to tell people why they, they shouldn't be feeling like that. So quick to tell people uh, what they should think instead. Uh, so quick to say what the right attitude is 
and yet so slow uh, to simply come alongside, uh, to listen, to mourn, to weep. And that is something I need to, to repent of. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one in, in this room in that situation. And perhaps as we, we think that, uh, we're then left with the question, well, is there any hope here uh, in Job chapter 3 at all? Is there anything uh, that can be said? We don't want to speak too soon. We want to listen. Uh, but is there anything that can be said at all? Uh, or is Job actually right? Uh, we don't want to force this chapter simply to kind of uh, turn a corner and say something happy and then sing a cheerful song and, and go home and, and say, well, that's, it's all fine in the end. You know, we want to feel that the weight of this passage because it describes how many people, including Christians, uh, ex- experience the world. But we do also want to see how this suffering, uh, how this depth of despair uh, also points us forward again to Jesus uh, as the ultimate blameless sufferer. Uh, to do justice to, to any chapter in the Bible, we have to see how it is ultimately uh, leading us to him. And this is a, a dark, dark chapter in the Bible. Perhaps, perhaps one of the darkest of all, but there is one uh, that is darker still. Uh, as Jesus hangs on the cross and breathes his last, uh, we are told that darkness came across the whole land. Uh, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Jesus, too, experienced that, that utter desolation uh, that Job is going through, that emotional turmoil uh, that this chapter lays out for us. And that doesn't take away the, the reality of suffering. Uh, we don't just kind of connect the dots to Jesus and say, well, you know, there we go, that's that all, all sorted, let's put it to one side. Uh, and yet we do have to let that make a difference. And the difference has to be that even in this suffering, even in the midst of this feeling of, of hopelessness, uh, that actually there is still hope. Uh, it might seem too dark to see it, it might feel like holding on to the, to the thinnest of threads, Uh, But that truth, that gospel truth, that after darkness does come light, uh, there is uh, a far greater rest than the grave, uh, that one day the trouble of our fallen world will come to an end. Uh, Because God, through Jesus in the gospel, has done something about it. Uh, Jesus experienced this ultimate suffering and loss and despair on the cross, experiencing that separation, even in that eternal relationship that he shared with his heavenly father. And yet, in his glorious resurrection, he came through that other side. Now, this chapter teaches us about the reality of sorrow, the depths of real desperate suffering that people go through, including those who trust in Jesus. And again, we need to hear that because that can often make us feel uncomfortable and often we do kind of want to just fix those things and we can't. But the message of the gospel does promise that if we hold on to Jesus, or actually more accurately, as Jesus holds on to us, that he will hold us fast. That even in the depths of that sorrow, even when we feel completely hopeless, that he will lead us home. That he will give us the rest we search for. True rest, eternal rest. And that might not be... Uh, In this life, again, as Job says, many people seem to to have a whole life of suffering. It's just one thing from another, and we just can't make sense of it. 
You know, it never kind of sorts itself out. It will never be uh, okay in the end. We can never look back uh, and and make sense of it, as, as we're always so tempted to say. It's the suffering that continues and continues. And yet still, Jesus promises an eternal rest. Not the rest of the grave, but a rest beyond the grave for those who trust in him. It's in him that the weary truly are at rest. It's in him the suffering that truly find peace. In the meantime, we weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. As we hold on to the only hope that there is out of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible. Uh, Lord, you tell us that it is living and active. Uh, It is sharp like a double-edged sword. Uh, It pierces us to our very souls. And Lord, we recognize that particularly in this chapter we've just looked at together. A challenging chapter. uh, And yet a chapter that shows that you understand and you take seriously the, the despair that can come upon us as we live in a world which is not the, in, the, in the perfect state in which you created it, but which includes that suffering that, that sin has brought. Lord, we pray this morning, whether we are going through these experiences ourselves that we've spoken about, or whether we are drawing alongside those who, who are, are losing hope, we pray that you would give us grace and patience and wisdom to know that this is not a sign of your abandonment, I have to pray that you would sustain us through these times. We ask that as a church you would be helping us to be honest with one another in how we're feeling. Uh, that we wouldn't just be seeking easy answers or to try and fix each other's problems, uh, just to put a brave face on it. Uh, but Lord, that we would walk through these times together in genuine love for one another. Uh, and Lord, we thank you that, that however we are feeling, uh, that there is the certain truth that there is hope in Jesus. And we thank you that he has suffered and that he has experienced abandonment and that one day we can have rest and experience full relationship with our Heavenly Father. We look ahead with great anticipation to that day when where suffering will be no more and we place ourselves into our hands now to sustain us until we get there. Not by our own doing, not by our own attitude, but by Jesus and what he has achieved for us and in our place. We pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.